show, and we welcome back to the show Michael Clare, who is Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College and the Five Colleges. He is the defense correspondent for The Nation magazine, and he is a senior visiting fellow at the Arms Control Association in Washington, D.C. as well. We've invited Michael back on the show today and are so pleased he could be with us because I really want to go back to the question of what's going on in the war in Ukraine and why is it not front page news anymore and what are the implications for what Russia has done there recently. And I want to know about Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan and how close we are or are not to the brink of another armed conflict and potential catastrophic conflict. First, I would like to ask Professor Clare about his take, about the uh, story that is, of course, front-page news, and I think deservedly so, which is the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago and the execution of a search warrant for documents that uh, were at least allegedly or potentially purloined by Trump from the White House when he left. Michael, you're a political observer. You're a really smart person. You've looked at major issues for decades. I'd love to have your perspective on what happened at Mar-a-Lago, and then we're going to get to these questions of Taiwan and Ukraine. Well, you know, before Mar-a-Lago, uh, a judge had to sign on to this, a judge in Washington, uh, and not the Justice Department, but a judge. And the judge had to be, conclude, looking at the evidence provided, that uh, Trump had violated the law and took with him classified documents of a serious nature. We don't know what those documents are yet, but they must have been of a very serious nature for a judge to sign on to a raid on a former president. This has never occurred before. So I want to know what those documents were. They must be highly classified material that he, he decided he wanted to keep with him. And uh, I wonder if they bear on foreign policy and military matters. Uh, what 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 he what he was focused on at the time? Ukraine, Russia, China. Uh, was he keeping material on Ukraine that that uh, made him uh, uh, look uh, like he, he he had engaged in nefarious behavior that influenced American foreign policy that. We don't know, but uh, I'm very curious to know what that information was. And, and clearly, a, a judge must have seen something deeply troubling to allow something so extraordinary. So a judge did have to sign and authorize the search warrant. And to get a search warrant, the applicant, that would be the Department of Justice, had to show probable cause, which is a low standard, uh, that there was uh, evidence of a crime that needed to be uh, uh, needed to be secured by the prosecutors. And I think the point you make about a judge has authorized this uh, is an important one. And the FBI has to, and the applicant, whoever signed it, had to swear under oath that the facts set forth as to why there is probable cause to believe that evidence of a crime exists at Mar-a-Lago and that the execution of the search warrant was necessary in order to secure that evidence. All that, all that is absolutely true, and I think a really important point. My perspective actually was a little different. I'm really fascinated that you, you go, I think, appropriately to the question of foreign policy. I wondered about the question of domestic politics and whether or not there's evidence there potentially that relates to January 6th. And that, of course, would be fascinating, although the Justice Department, as you point out, can't actually talk about it can't say what is in the application for the search warrant itself and can't say what the execution of the search warrant resulted in. So, yeah, we have to wait. And in fact, Merrick Garland uh, uh, can't really say anything. The attorney general can't really say anything because if he does, he's going to mess up potentially whatever prosecution comes out of this. So, uh, I, you know, Bill, uh, I don't think a judge would sign on to a search on something that was of a political nature that was contested. You know, that that uh, that could be said, oh, that's just the Democrats going after a Republican president. It has to be something that's prima facie a matter of national security that's at risk. 
uh, so I, I don't think it could be of a political nature. Uh, it, it has to be something more profound than that for a judge to sign on. Well, I agree it has to be profound. Whether it relates to an attempted coup on January 6th, that might be – that is significant enough to uh, warrant uh, a search warrant, I would think. And the other thing I think it's really interesting and the point you make, which is it, whatever it is, it has to be important. It has to be really significant because, frankly, I don't think most people care one way or the other very much – about a potential violation of something they never heard of a year ago called the Presidential Records Act. So no, nobody cares about that law very much. But secreting really significant documents that reflect on what Trump did as president and violation and secreting those, I think people do care a lot. So, and I agree with you. We're not going to know until the Justice Department speaks or until a grand jury speaks. Let's turn. To, let's turn to Taiwan. Um, there was just posted this morning your most recent uh, uh, article f or an opinion piece for uh, The Nation magazine. You are the defense correspondent for The Nation. Michael Clare, tell us about Nancy Pelosi's visit and how you see this is going to play out in the long run with regard to the United States, Taiwan, and China. Okay. Well, as I, as I argue in the piece uh, at thenation.com, Nancy Pelosi's visit came at a at a sensitive time. The U.S. has the Biden administration was already in a process of shifting policy on Taiwan from one of a relative neutral stance uh, between arguments that that Taiwan is part of China and Taiwan is independent. Historically, uh, U.S. presidents have been kind of neutral on on that position. But you have heard in the past few months from the president on down a shift in policy uh, towards leaning towards the notion that that Taiwan is an independent nation and that the U.S. should be prepared to defend it. And uh, even though they denied that. But the Chinese have heard this from Washington and have become increasingly alarmed have been demonstrating their concern by increasing military pressure on Taiwan. So Pelosi goes at this crucial moment against the advice of the president and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, knowing, knowing that a visit would stir things up further. She goes anyway, um, and the Chinese are infuriated. Uh, they don't understand the separation of the of, of the branches of U.S. government. They think this is a, uh, a, a an expression of U.S. policy uh, that uh, that from now on, you know, uh, an expression that the U.S. stands with Taiwan uh, indefinitely and will come to Taiwan's aid. Uh, so the Chinese leadership sees this as a shift in U.S. policy away from its neutral stance towards one of, of, of uh, accepting more or less China, uh, Taiwan as an independent country. And the Chinese have always said that if Taiwan moves in that direction, they're prepared to use military force. And so they had to demonstrate that they're prepared to do that with uh, very extensive military maneuvers that look like preparation for war. And when she left, those maneuvers continued. So it looks like we're now in a pre-war situation that will could extend indefinitely into the future. So that's that's what worries me that we're now in a pre-war environment as far as Taiwan is concerned, and I don't see an off-ramp from this uh, at the present. Let's go back for a moment. You talk about in your new piece in the Nation about what American, what the United States is policy has been towards China and Taiwan. And I frankly have always found it confusing. We say we'll help ta Taiwan defend itself if China were to attack, but we haven't exactly until the Biden administration moved further in this direction actually engaged militarily with China. Um, we believe in one China policy, that is, so the Taiwan is part of China, but we believe Taiwan actually can't be dictated uh, to from, from or by China. What has been our policy and what has changed? 
So our, our policy historically has been what, what's called in quotation marks, the one China policy. Uh, the US pledged in, in 1979, when the US recognized the, the People's Republic of China as the legitimate government of China, uh, and and stopped diplomatic relations with Taiwan. You know, you know, up until 1979, that's that's 30 years after after the People's Republic was established. For 30 years, we recognized the government on on Taiwan as the government of all of China. This is an insane notion, but we did that for 30 years. Uh, uh, Taiwan calling itself the Republic of China. Um, in 1979, we, this is after Henry Kissinger went to China, the U.S. recognized the government in Beijing, the PRC, as the government of China. Uh, and we said at that time that Taiwan was part of one China, including the mainland and the island. Uh, and that has remained our policy since then, although we never said, you know, how the two components of one China were going to fit together. Now, it, it, over time, uh, the Taiwanese have moved to create an, a, a democratic state, uh, an autonomous state with its own characteristics, a very vibrant democracy, and uh, the people there show no interest in joining the rest of China. So the situation has evolved. And now people in Washington increasingly uh, want to uh, abandon the one China policy and include Taiwan in a, a network of friendly states to encircle China because the mood in Washington is increasingly anti-China. And so the notion that Taiwan will ever be part of one China is no longer acceptable in Washington. I hope I made this clear. Well, okay. So Taiwan is the island uh, to which uh, Chiang Kai-shek, right? Um, uh, uh, to which the uh, those who lost the war uh, when uh, the uh, Chinese Communist Party took over China, th that's where they that's where they uh, disembarked to, and um, yeah. that's where they set up their 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 government. Here's the part I don't understand, Michael. We say we have a one-China policy, which means that Taiwan is part of China. On the other hand, we really don't believe that, and we don't really want and that we, the United States, does not want uh, Taiwan to be taken over by uh, Beijing. So what does that mean that it's a one-China policy? And, and how well, this is, so, so this is where the analogy to Ukraine comes in. Because we want you, we want Taiwan to be independent if it chooses to go to do so, and we provide Taiwan with the with weapons for its defense. But everybody with a brain can figure out that Taiwan, with 23 million people, cannot defend itself, by, you know, ex exclusively by itself against a nation of 1.4 billion people with a much, much, much larger military. So to say, yes, we support Taiwan independence, let them declare independence, and if China invades, you know, we'll send them arms. That's like the Ukraine situation. We, we know that China is stronger. So if we make a ironclad commitment to the defense, to the independence and defense of Taiwan, that means U.S. soldiers have to go to the defense of Taiwan, and that means a war with China, and a war with China means the possible use of nuclear weapons and large numbers of American deaths. So this this is where the parallel with Ukraine comes in. Uh, President Biden has ruled out the use of American forces in Taiwan, although it seems to be inching in that direction. Uh, but in the case of Taiwan, uh, there are more and more voices in Washington saying we should be prepared to use American forces. So we're inching slowly but surely towards a situation 
where uh, where a conflict in Taiwan will become an American-China World War III. We're speaking with Michael Clare, Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College and the Five Colleges Defense Correspondent for the Nation. We're going to take a quick break and continue this conversation right after these messages. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. There are farm fresh eggs just around the corner and beef across town. Local food is all around. It's a connection to your community, to the land and the people. There's a handy guide to the farm fresh food all around you, the local hero guide on the CISA website. You never know how close you are to something good for dinner tonight, something harvested just this morning. CISA's local hero guide, your guide to farm fresh food, on the CISA website, buylocalfood.org. Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. As the weather gets warmer, I know many of you are thinking about your summer workout schedule. And if you're like me, it's all about finding work, life, and workout balance, which is why when you sign up at Fitness Together, you'll put a schedule together with your personal trainer that actually works for you, is stress-free, and will help you stay fit, healthy, and balanced. Visit us online today at fitnesstogether.com, Amherst, or Northampton, and sign up for your free consultation. In a couple of hours or less, you can be at the beach, toes in the sand, bouncing in the waves, which means fresh just off the boat seafood is only a couple of hours away or minutes away at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, where the seafood is delivered direct from the fishing boats. Cod, salmon, scallops, no warehousing. It goes from the dock to the kitchen door. Try Paul and Elizabeth's fish and chips with that lighter than air tempura batter. Try the scallops broiled with garlic butter and fresh herbs. There's no beach at Paul and Elizabeth's, but the seafood. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday downtown sounds? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Downtown Sounds Workers Co-op, a music store with new and used instruments and lessons. Live online or live in person. First lessons free when you buy an instrument. Plus, repairs of musical instruments and equipment. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Michael Clare, Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College and the Five Colleges, Defense Correspondent for the Nation and Senior Visiting Fellow at the, American, at the Arms Control Association in Washington, D.C. We have been talking about Taiwan. Before we pivot a bit and go and talk about Ukraine, I'd like to know what two things that we have not yet covered, Michael. One is, what have been the immediate consequences of Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan? And second, what should we look for going forward as, in terms of whether or not the situation is becoming more dangerous and or is escalating or whether it's going to return to the status quo pre-Pelosi trip? First of all, I don't think it could go back to the status quo before Pelosi's trip. I, I, I think we've, we've crossed the line here uh, in which uh, China now views uh that the now believes that the U.S. is committed to to support Taiwan no matter what, and that the only likely outcome is a military one, because China responded to her visit by conducting military exercises in, in the waters in the Taiwan Strait. The Taiwan Strait is only 80, 90 miles wide, separating the mainland from the island of Taiwan. 
and the Chinese have been conducting military maneuvers there that are intended to intimidate the island, but could also be interpreted as practice for an invasion. They're, they're sort of both intimidation and practice. Um, and, and it's a statement that they're, they're beyond talking now, uh, that they're thinking in military terms. So there's that. Uh, the Chinese also have stopped communication with the U.S. military, military-to-military -military talks, these are called, about avoiding an incident at sea that could escalate. Bear in mind that the U.S. is about to send Navy vessels into the Taiwan Strait on what are called freedom of navigation operations uh, to, to demonstrate the U.S. Navy is prepared to go there at any time. So. Uh, sometime uh, this week or next week, uh, we could have a clash, uh, you know, where Chinese ships and, and American ships uh, bump up against each other. And it, it, previously, there would be communication between them. China has suspended or canceled those kind of communications. I think this is very dangerous. I think the exercises by China are dangerous, and I think U.S. Uh, naval operations in the Taiwan Strait at this moment are also very provocative. And I wish people on both sides would somehow uh, get on the line, Biden and Xi, and call all of this off, because this is how a war would start, and through unintended uh, a clash at sea and unintended escalation. On top of all of this, and for anyone, all of us care about climate change, uh, the Chinese have suspended talks on cooperation on climate change. And, and I, I think it's very irresponsible of them to do so, uh, but they feel provoked by Nancy Pelosi's visit. And uh, this is one way they're showing it. It's unfortunate, but it, but it, 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 it affects all of us. Was Pelosi's visit precipitated in part, at least, by the Beijing's, uh, uh, well, I'm not saying it's a takeover, but Beijing's uh, increased uh, influence and attempts to control the politics of Taiwan? I think she, she went out of her own motives. Uh, she historically has been very critical of China on its human rights policy. It's cracked down on the Uyghur population of Xinjiang province. She's been very outspoken about the crackdown in Hong Kong. So she has a record of criticism, and uh, she's only, she might be saying to herself, uh, she only has a few more months as House Speaker. Uh, she's worried about the Republicans taking over the House in a few months. And I think she saw this as perhaps her last opportunity uh, to, to uh, express her, uh, her anger at, at the Chinese authorities and make a big, uh, you know, big grandstanding statement. So I, I, I don't think it was about anything in particular, just an opportunity for her as while speaker to make this, this grand statement. Yeah, for which we should note, she had bipartisan support. I mean, this is not, she was not an outlier on this. No, not at all. And um, you're quite right. And the, here's where we have to talk about a little bit about the difference between Congress as a bipartisan body. You know, this is the one area where, where Republicans and Democrats can agree is to smash China in every way possible. I wish they could agree on things that matter a little bit more here at home. That's my personal view. Uh, but uh, on this, they, they are in agreement uh, that, that, that uh, China should be, um, should be encircled, contained, and that uh, the U.S. should uh, do everything it can to support Taiwan. We're speaking with Michael Clare, Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to review where the war in Ukraine stands and what the future may well bring. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
masters of war You that build the big guns You that build the death planes For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Officials are investigating a house fire in Palmer. Palmer firefighters were called to a home on High Street at 3.30 a.m. Wednesday and found fire on the second floor. One person was sent to the hospital after being rescued. Crews were able to put the fire out quickly since the fire was confined to one bedroom. A portion of Damon Road in Northampton is closed due to a motor vehicle accident this morning. According to the Northampton Police Department, Damon Road from Bridge Street to Industrial Drive is closed. Drivers are being asked to look for a different route. The Connecticut River Valley region has been declared a Level 3 critical drought. The region consists of Hampton, Hampshire, and Franklin counties. The state is experiencing decreasing water levels in some reservoirs, stream beds, ponds, and rivers. The current drought conditions are also raising awareness of the risk of fires. Residents are asked to exercise caution when working with open flames and to make sure all campfires are completely put out. Governor Baker held a ceremonial bill signing yesterday for the reproductive health care bill. The bill contains language protecting abortion and gender-affirming health care providers from lawsuits from other states, as well as expanding access to emergency contraception and requiring insurers to cover the cost of abortions. A compromise was made after Baker previously vetoed language around when pregnancies could be terminated. The new language provides access to abortion after 24 weeks, when the patient's life is in danger, to preserve the physical and mental health, when there is a lethal fetal anomaly, or a grave fetal diagnosis. Mixture of sun and clouds today, cooler with a high of 80 to 84. There is a chance for a light shower. Most of us will stay dry. Variable clouds tonight, overnight low 60 to 66. Sun cloud mix on Thursday, 82 to 86. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El presidente Joe Biden anunció el martes una legislación que inyectará más de 50 mil millones de dólares en investigación y fabricación de chips semiconductores que alimentan todo, desde dispositivos médicos y automóviles hasta computadoras y sistemas de armas, como una inversión única en una generación en Estados Unidos. Hoy Estados Unidos está cumpliendo y honestamente creo que dentro de 50, 75 o 100 años, las personas que mirarán hacia atrás esta semana sabrán que nos encontramos en este momento, dijo Biden antes de firmar CHIPS y la Ley de Ciencias, abreviatura de la Ley de Creación de Incentivos Útiles para la Producción de Semiconductores para América. Esta fue una semana destinada a estar llena de vueltas de victoria cuando Biden salió de su aislamiento de COVID justo cuando los demócratas del Senado aprobaron un paquete característico de clima, atención médica e impuestos. Pero se vio ensombrecido el lunes por la noche por la noticia de que agentes del FBI habían allanado y registrado la casa de su antecesor, el expresidente Donald Trump. En otras informaciones, un tribunal federal de apelaciones se puso del lado del Comité de la Cámara de Representantes que buscaba acceso a las declaraciones de impuestos del expresidente Donald Trump, rechazando la afirmación de Trump de que el Congreso se estaba extralimitando. Un panel de tres jueces de la Corte de Apelaciones de los Estados Unidos para el Circuito del Distrito de Colombia estuvo de acuerdo con la decisión de un juez de primera instancia a favor del Congreso. El juez federal de distrito, Trevor McFadden, dictaminó en diciembre que el presidente del Comité de Medios y Arbitrios de la Cámara tiene amplia autoridad para solicitar los registros y que el Departamento del Tesoro debe proporcionar las declaraciones de impuestos al comité. Los tres jueces de la Corte de Apelaciones estuvieron de acuerdo. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
We continue our conversation with Professor Emeritus Michael Clare, Professor of Peace and World Security Studies and Senior Visiting Fellow at the Arms Control Association in Washington, D.C., Defense Correspondent for the Nation. We want to turn now to the question of Ukraine. Michael, for a long time, every day, there were reports on the war in Ukraine, and now the war in Ukraine seems to have disappeared from the media. There's a war going on. There is a major war going on. People are dying every day. There is enormous dispute, uh, military disputes, about land in eastern Ukraine. And the situation, as far as I can tell, uh, from the limited coverage that I can find, is as dire as ever. And yet we're not hearing about it. So tell us, if you would, please, what is the military and political situation in Ukraine today? And what is hap- apt to happen going forward from here? So partly the reason you're not hearing about Ukraine is because uh, both sides have taken a little bit of a pause to gather their forces for uh, major offensives. Uh, And we're likely to hear about those in the coming weeks. It looks as if Ukrainian forces are preparing for a major offensive in the Kyrgyzstan region, in the southern part of Ukraine. Uh, it looks like they're, they're preparing to, uh, hopefully, in their view, to liberate the city of Kherson, the largest city that the Russians conquered in the early days of the war uh, in the southern part of Ukraine on the Black Sea. Uh, there are reports of large explosions uh, today in in ammunition dumps and the like uh, in the rear areas around Kherson. Meanwhile, the Russians have been diverting troops, forces. They've been moving forces from the eastern part of Ukraine uh, around Donetsk area where they had been fighting and moving them to the Kherson region to to reinforce their, their forces there in anticipation of the Ukrainian offensive. So partly we haven't heard much uh, because of this uh, pause, it's in the right word, preparation of the battlefield for more intense fighting. But a lot is going on. Uh, the U.S. has been sending these uh, more sophisticated artillery systems, high Mars, high, high mobility, Uh, artillery rockets, which are responsible for these attacks, the Ukrainian attacks on on Russian uh, supply depots and bridges behind the lines, and that's altered the battlefield uh, on one hand, and Russia is seeking to consolidate its control of the areas it already holds. Looks like they're going to have fake referendums to Uh, absorb those areas into Russia itself. Um, Very deeply troubling behavior uh, outlawed by international law and and so on. Uh, So a lot is going on behind the scenes, uh, but but not making the front page news. How much land, how much territory, how much of Ukraine has Russia taken over? It's about a quarter of the country. Uh, all, 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 all of the um, e- eastern part, a very large part of that, and a large part of the southern border of the Black Sea is under their control, about a quarter of the country. And is the Russian-controlled territory now contiguous so that Russia can actually control land from its border down to the Black Sea and down to Odessa? Yes, they they have control of the of that that whole strip. That's why the fighting around Mariupol, if you remember the city that was so heavily bombarded, why that was the last holdout uh, blocking their control of that strip, uh, connecting Donetsk and Luhansk republics, which they previously had controlled, with Crimea and with the conquered territories of, around Kherson. Uh, so they, they control that whole strip. Uh, it's like a crescent moon. So when you talk about the op- upcoming battles, which, you, which I think you're really describing as potentially ferocious, 
are we talking about, are you talking about Ukraine taking back this territory and trying to dislodge the Russian military from territory that it now controls? And is that likely to be successful? Yes, it appears that, that the Ukrainians seek to liberate Kherson, uh, which has been occupied now for six months or, or, or so since February or March. Uh, it's been under, the city has been under Russian control. It looks like they plan to take that city back. And that would be the first major reversal of the war if that were to happen. And you're right, I think the fighting will be fierce. Uh, the casualties on both sides will be very heavy. Uh, but I think that's the intent. Now, Russia had previously been planning an offensive of its own uh, in the Donetsk region to, to uh, eliminate Ukrainian control of whatever remained of that province. And there is still fighting, heavy fighting going on there, heavy artillery fighting with civilians getting killed every day. You don't hear much about it, but, it's, but it is proceeding. Uh, it's possible that the Ukrainian attack on Kherson is also intended to reduce pressure on the defending forces, Ukrainian defending forces in the Donetsk region uh, who have been under very heavy pressure. They're surrounded on three sides and they're fighting a ferocious battle uh, against the attacking Russians. Bear in mind the number of casualties have been enormous. Uh, U.S. military estimates that 70 to 80,000 Russian forces have been killed or wounded since the beginning of the war. That's more than the U.S. lost in the Iraq wars and Afghanistan and Syria put together. That's a very heavy loss for the Russians. The Ukrainians don't report their own losses, but they're probably in the same area of magnitude. One last question before this next break. Is there any, any end in sight for this war? My sense is that there is no end in sight until one side or the other exhausts its offensive capacity, by which I mean, um, I, I think Ukraine is not going to call for a ceasefire until it makes at least one big push to regain territory and maybe capture Kherson, uh, for example. And I don't think the Russians are going to give up uh, until they, they have complete control of eastern Ukraine, and, and they haven't achieved that yet. So... Uh, I think the fighting will persist for some time uh, until one, one side or both sides feel they've exhausted their offensive capabilities, capacities, or potentials, and, and, and it's become a defensive war over unchanging lines. Uh, uh, and that perhaps that will occur sometime before the end of this year. And then I think it'll become a frozen conflict like you see in Cyprus and in Kashmir and Korea. And at that point, maybe there'll be a ceasefire. We have been speaking with Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies, Michael Clare. Natalia Munoz joins us because she came in during the last segment and she said, Bill, I have a question for you. And I said, really, we should pose that one to Michael, which we will right after these messages. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. I hurt myself today to see if I... Ace flips burgers at her day job as she tries to outrun the shadows of the past she shares with her dad, who spends his days watching game shows from his lawn chair on the moon. Chester Theater Company presents To the Moon and Back, a world premiere starring Tara Franklin and Ray Burke as a daughter and father with a history as murky as the dark side of the moon. To the moon and back, August 11th through the 21st at Chester Theatre Company. Get tickets now at chestertheatre.org. 
Summer adventures are where memories are made. Add some flavor to your Massachusetts summer by eating like a local. Few things compare to a good meal at the end of the day, and farm-to-table restaurants deliver with fresh, locally sourced produce prepared to perfection by skilled chefs. Support local farmers and restaurants by planning a special night out with friends or family. Need some inspiration? Map your fresh food adventure at eatlikealocalinma.org. Paid for by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. WHMP. A lot of mattress stores, all they talk about is price. Sale, 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 save, 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 blah, blah, blah. I get it. No one wants to pay a dollar more than you have to. But what do you really know about mattresses? Are you an expert? I'm not. And I have a furniture store. So I at least know a little. Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon Furniture. Not Tempur-Pedic, not trying to mislead you. Therapeutic. The best mattress value I've ever found. And believe me, I've looked around. Therapeutic mattresses are made in Brockton. I've walked the floor and it was reassuring because there's no toxicity, no off-gassing. Therapeutic mattresses are clean and made by fellow Red Sox fans. Play the sale, sale, sale game if you want. That's not for me. A therapeutic mattress from Talon Furniture is your best bet and best deal. Today, tomorrow, or whenever you decide to buy a new mattress. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This is Viacon Munoz with Natalia Munoz, who of course has her own show here at 10 o'clock Saturday mornings on WHMP. During the break, Natalia, you posed a question to Michael Clare, who has been with us for the show, we really appreciate all the time you can give us or are giving us this morning, Michael. So why don't you bring our listeners in on that conversation because you posed a really important question, Natalia. Oh, thank you, Bill. Michael, uh, earlier you spoke about how the United States needs to encircle and contain China because China is has been acting very aggressive. Um, and so then my question becomes, when we compare what we need to do to protect this country from China, and we compare it with what this country needs to lift people out of poverty, to repair roads and bridges, to get things working, because this country seems to be falling apart. I feel like we're seeing the, the, the end of this empire. And if that's what it's going to be, okay, that's what it's going to be. But in the interim, um, there are places in this country, all over the country, where people live in such abject poverty, and there's nothing for them. Nancy Pelosi does not visit those places. Uh, even some Congress people don't visit those places. And this is not to uh, throw shade on Nancy Pelosi for going to Taiwan. This is just to point out that it seems that certain places are more important than other places, and the other places being this very country. Well, that, that's so eloquent, what you just said, Natalia. I, I could not say it any better than that, and I appreciate your words very much. For, first, let me say that there's a real cleavage in this country between Washington, D.C., and the rest of the country. And I, I appreciate that because I, I try to spend a week a month in Washington at my office at the Arms Control Association, where my colleagues and I are doing everything we can to uh, reduce spending on nuclear weapons and, and to prevent a nuclear arms race with China and with Russia. And it's so hard, it's so hard to, to fight that battle because uh, people in Congress, people in, in, in Washington, when I say in Washington, I don't mean the residents of Washington who voted uh, very strongly the local people for the same concerns that you have, Natalia, but the government. 
in Washington and people in Congress ha have this militaristic attitude right now that the U.S. has to uh, prevent China's rise, has to prevent China from ever achieving uh, the status of a great power like the United States, and in particular are determined to prevent China from uh, from ousting the U.S. from its control of the Western Pacific. You know, the Secretary of State Blinken was in the Philippines this week uh, talking about uh, our great friendship with the Philippines, uh, forgetting that the Philippines was a colony of the United States for decades and that we fought a war there to suppress the independence movement by the Filipino people. And that uh, for the U.S., uh, the Western Pacific is part of our defense zone. And, and so there's a commitment to maintain that U.S. domination of the Western Pacific. And for China, this is intolerable. This is the essence of this struggle. And there's not a, a single member of Congress who opposes that vision of continued American domination. And that is, that, that is the, the problem. And, and those people are, are absolutely united, bipartisan. And it's a different attitude than that rest of us who don't live, who aren't part of that world, who fight, find the same struggles that you're talking about, Natalia. And the answer to your question is, is the people who, who are suffering from hardships have to become politically galvanized and to ask their representatives to change their priorities, that, that containing China is not as important as as rebuilding America. Or, or trying to build democracy in Afghanistan, which for centuries has not been a place of democracy. How about rebuild it right here in the United States? How about change some laws so that when you turn 18, you automatically become a voter, that you receive pamphlets in the mail or in your email about what are the issues on the ballot, not just this big magazine that uh, here in Massachusetts, Secretary Galvin sends us, which is very good, but there are so many ways to activate voters. They tried to do that in Afghanistan and failed. They could have done it here, and we probably could have gotten gotten further ahead. We probably would have, you know, with all this knowledge, would have said, okay, goodbye, Electoral College. And in fact, the Pew Center uh, came out with a report that a majority of people in the United States want to see the elimination of the Electoral College. They want a direct vote to president, the popular vote. And so, again, it's where the, how this country manages its domestic urgent needs with its sense of danger abroad, when sometimes there is no, really no danger abroad. It's kind of, am I right? I mean, the, the United States is not concerned at all about South America or about what's happening in different African nations. It's just, it only concentrate on one country at a time. Ukraine is off the pages, the front pages, like Bill said earlier. It's not the cute panda issue anymore. Now we're talking about China and Taiwan. How do, you know, like Bill said, is it, and, and adding to that, is this all really a matter of personalities? That if Biden could get along with the president of China and if they became pals, that would change the tenor of the relationship between these two countries? Is this all come down, o sea, does this all come down to how people like each other on a personal level? Huh. Well, if, if you're asking me that, I, I would have to answer, uh, no, it's not a matter of personalities because there are powerful forces in all of these countries, powerful forces that, that uh, seek to maintain a system of militarism in this country, the the defense budget is soaring to beyond eight hundred billion dollars this year for the first time, uh, the highest in our history, and this is uh, this is the result of powerful forces, what what President Eisenhower called the military-industrial complex, and they're all saying it's China, China, China. Right. We need new ships, new planes, new missiles to fight China. 
and there's not a single person in Congress to stand up and say, no, we, we, we don't need all this new uh, aircraft carriers and submarines. So it's like, uh, a, it's like a runaway train. It's like whichever leader is elected or appointed or seizes power, they all get on the same runaway train and that just le let themselves be led by the forces of what their countries need. Is that it? Well, it's more complicated. The defense industry is very smart mm. for each weapon uh, system. They, they divide up the subcontracts in as many congressional districts as possible mm -hmm. so that each congressional district has a, has, a, has a perceived financial interest in building that system. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, not so much perhaps in Hampshire County, but in Massachusetts and Connecticut has many defense contracts. We have L3 Harris here in Northampton. That's right. And it, uh, they are a major defense contractor. I read every day in the defense literature how they've, they've, uh, they're, they're re re receiving new, new contracts for these very sophisticated weapons for the coming war with China or Russia. So, it, so basically, every generation somewhere in the world will see war until the, the world is done. This is a never-ending doomsday. Oh, take us, take, don't take, let us end on that note, please, Michael. Talk us, take us off, talk us off this ledge, please. Well, you know, we're going to have a political, uh, it's going to be a political struggle and people have to choose priorities. I, I know that the National Priorities Project, one of the great voices on this topic, originated in Northampton. Now it's moved to Washington so that it could be closer to the action. But the National Priorities Project is telling us what we need to know. Uh, we have to choose to uh, to demand from our representatives that, that money go, as Natalia had said, uh, for local communities, not for this endless chain of weaponry. We're going to leave it there. Natalia Munoz, Michael Clare, thank you both so very, very much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you all. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. It's Gordon Oliver. And I'm Tina Marie. And we're popping in to get everyone excited about this week's The Cambridge Connection radio show. Ooh, can't wait to hear who we're speaking with next. And before we share this week's guest, I want to remind everyone that we're here on WHMP every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. to help you, our listeners, navigate life's options, especially when it comes to financial wellness and empowerment. Let's not forget about all the success stories, too. Okay, Tina Marie, you ready? Ready. When it comes to your finances, often your credit score matters more than your money. Listen in to Paul Oster, CEO of Better Qualified, this Saturday. Here's a slice of advice about pizza boxes. It's okay to recycle the entire pizza box as long as it's empty. For a long time, creasy boxes were assumed to cause recycling problems, but a new study proved they don't. It's time to capture the 3 billion pizza boxes used annually in the U.S. Visit RecycleSmartMA.org to learn more about what can and can't get recycled. After you've enjoyed tonight's pizza, turn the box inside out, discard what falls out, and recycle the rest. Brought to you by the Northampton DPW. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock.